tonight. Good morning. If everyone can uh, go ahead and kind of find your spot. And also, if everybody would just stand up as we introduce our event today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Psalm 150. I thought about this in regards to our worship, uh, our expressive worship here today. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah, so I'm Gus Vickery. I think most of you probably know me. I'm a physician here in town and have been journeying along with uh, the collider, as we call it, over the last couple of years from the time it was meeting in the YMI building to the outdoor pavilion and until now here at the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And uh, I have to admit that when I first attended one of these events, um, it, I was a little uncertain. I, uh, my own background, uh, I grew up in a traditional Methodist church, kind of stepped away from the Lord for a number of years. I actually heard powerfully from him uh, at Christmas and Easter services at a very traditional Episcopal church where my parents attended. Uh, I was only there just to appease them. And then spent the next 30 years uh, pretty deep in what you would consider Reformed Presbyterian theology. So. When I first attended one of these events and I observed the depth of worship, the style of worship, uh, all the unique ways people were expressing themselves in worship, uh, I was challenged a bit by it. It was somewhat distracting to me, plus, you know, I kind of brought a lot of my own self-consciousness into it. But, you know, I tasted something even as I kind of stuck my toe in. And what I tasted was is something I think I had been trying to find for the last 30 years, a uh, true intimate encounter with the one who made me. And uh, I couldn't help but keep coming back and keep kind of working through my resistance and keep, you know, trying to figure things out. Of course, the more I tried to figure out things, the you know, slower it went and the more I just kind of decided to let go of me and step into it, uh, the more I grew. And ultimately, I started, it started becoming my favorite part of every week, what we're about to do together here. Um, and, you know, for all those years of study and church participation, I was blessed by them. I, was, I grew through it, but my soul was hungry. It was thirsty. It was really, really desperate to actually have an encounter with the God who made me with his spirit. And as I have continued to come to this banquet, week after week, year after year, I've been amazed. And I know I'm only tasting the beginnings of this banquet, the first uh, you know, drink and food that our Father has prepared for us. But man, if this is what it tastes like, if this is how satisfying it is, I want more and more of it. So. 
as we enter into this, uh, you know, all, almost all the time I've been here, it was basically Austin and Steve with guitars. That was it. There was no lights. There was no anything else. So this is all new to us as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes people could think that you're using a lot of light and sound and other theatrical elements just to get people, you know, emotionally aroused, to give them an experience. And you can do that, but that's not what's happening here. Um, what's happening here isn't just to get our emotions up, it's to invite the one who made us, the only one who can satisfy us, the one who can set us free into our very being as, and, to get, and to invite him in as deeply as possible. So if any of you encounter resistance today as we begin this time, if you feel uncertain, I would just suggest just, you know, try to get past yourself, try to enter in, ask your father to meet you in this place because he will, he will. He, it's, he is always ready and so I'm very thankful to get to feast at that banquet again with you guys um, here today. And you know, some, there's a scripture you're all familiar with it, you know, and I think about it often, especially when it comes to very expressive worship, because after David you know, had delivered the ark into Jerusalem, he danced with all his might, I'm sure, you know, and obviously was undignified in appearance to some people. And of course, his statement when he was confronted about that was to say, I will make myself yet more contemptible than this and I'll be abased in your eyes, right? So we can allow ourselves to be a little undignified if it'll bring glory to our King. So welcome this morning. Come and sing a song over us. 
nothing I'm sure it stings According to all your senses It's nothing but death We are called to speak We are called to speak Lie, 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 lie That means close your eyes If all it sees death
Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 the Lord responded write down the message record it on the the tablet so the one who announces it may read it easily for the message is a witness to what has been decreed and it gives reliable testimony about how matters will turn out and even if the message is not fulfilled right away patiently patiently wait for it we wait for you Lord just like you came to Martha and Mary and it seemed like you were delayed but your timing is perfect and even in the delay even in the delay resurrection life resurrection life oh resurrection life I'm the resurrection and the life says the Lord and even if it seems like a delay to you wait for it wait for him wait for him I wait for you Lord and I know you'll come I know you're good on your promises Lord I know you're good Lord and I trust you Lord with my whole heart I trust you Lord Blessed is the one who believes without seeing. Blessed are you when you believe when you have not seen. Faith is a title deed hope for the objective proof of an unseen reality. Ecclesia. Ecclesia of the Lord, cross over for your redemption draws nigh now. Mm -hmm. Clear our minds of all the judgments, all the precognition, Lord, and make our hearts right before you now. And take us across, take us across in the place of promise as we inherit repent and believe the gospel the kingdom of heaven is now
This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And all the promises are yes and amen. All the promises. Yes. You're my promise, Lord. There is no other one like you. You're my promise, Lord. Mm, yes. Mm, yes. You are the Lord! 
Then another sign appeared in heaven and a huge red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadem crowns. Now the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. So the woman, so the ecclesia, the ecclesia has born a man-child, a star-child, who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. And the child was suddenly caught up to God and to his throne. And she fled into the wilderness where a place had been prepared for her by God. So she would be taken care of for 1260 days. Then a war broke out in the heavens. A war that we're in the middle of. A war that's happening right now. And in the heavens, Michael, Michael and the angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So there was not any place left in the heavens for him and his angels. That huge dragon, Satan, who deceives the whole world was thrown down to the earth and his angels along with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, salvation in the power and the kingdom of our God and the ruling authority of his Christ has now come because the accuser the accuser of our brothers and sisters the one who has been accusing us night and day before our God has has been thrown down. But they ever came. This is it. Listen. They ever came. They ever came. No more accusation. They ever came, the accusation. trying to collude our minds and come against us we will not we will not we will not we will not come under the accusation of the enemy they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony that's what Stephen is singing to you and I let and let a sword come out of your mouth as he sings to Lord by the testimony of the faithful remnant of the Lord. 
I testify that you're the Lamb of God. I testify that you're the Word made flesh because they didn't love their lives. So much so that even death was not going to control them anymore. I want to give you a context because the words tell me to do this so you can understand what's happening right now. Last week, the Holy Spirit tells me, read to them Daniel 12. At that time, Michael, the great prince who watches over your people will arise. There will be a time of distress unlike any other since this nation's beginning or the nation's beginning up to that time. But at that time, your own people, all those whose names are found written in the book will escape. And many of those who sleep in the dusty ground will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and abhorrence. But the wise will like shine like the brightness and the heavenly expanse. And those bringing many to righteousness will be like stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up these words in the book. And I'm up here reading Daniel 12. And then after the service, Melinda Scroggs, she's over there shaking in the front. And I went up to interviewing her. I said, what is going on with you, Melinda? She said a number of things, but I want to tell you one thing she said. She said, right before you read Daniel 12, I saw this golden boot come down in the room, as big as a man's body. And she said, I knew that it was the Archangel Michael, it was the Lord's coming down. Before I even read Daniel 12, Back in 2015, Stephen and I are worshiping in downtown Hendersonville. And I have my first experience of being taken up into the second heavens. And I get up there and if I was this tall, there was an angel standing there that tall and he tells me he's Michael. And he says, we're at your command. And I said, who is we're? And this whole like army of angels goes out as far as I can see. And I said to him, I'll have to get back to you on that because I didn't know you could bring in a command with the angelic order. When I was falling out of the second heavens and the Lord said to me, Dell M. Sight, strategic angelic intercessory warfare. It's gonna happen in the end times. Five years later, Daisy Smith comes up to me. She said, did you ever go and meet with Dell M. Sides? And I said, no. She says, Pastor Carol, you've got to look into this. And someone orders a book and it was called Angels in the Army by Dell Sides. 
And in it, he details the war scroll and how to command angels biblically. And I said, if I have it in the text, I'll believe it. Because I am like you about subjective experiences. I wanna see it in the text. And he proves it in his book, Angels in the Army. And I ended up meeting Dell last week, or last year. And a lot of confirmations came in that meeting. It was during a series we were putting on in Collider called Starlink. And I knew from the Lord, he was saying the day's going to come. I've waited for this day. He told me you'll rise up like Revelation 4, like John did when he said, behold, and I saw in the heavens a door open up. In Revelation 4, he begins to see the heavens open up and he's called up into the sapphire throne. And the Lord told me, he said, this will happen in your ministry. I will catch a people up in Revelation 4 because I will bring about Revelation 5 in your hour. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And John said, I'm weeping. I'm wonder, I'm weeping. Is there one that could open the scroll? And only one, only one has prevailed. Mark my word, but more than mine, mark the word of the Lord. We're on the precipice church. I'm an end time outpouring of an end time tabernacling with the Lord, of an end time transfiguration of God. And our enemy is being cast out of the second heavens into the first heavens. And he's angry because his time is short. And he wants to bring a great disillusionment upon you, the remnant bride, and cause us to get distracted from our focus of the one, of the one, of the man, Jesus Christ, and look at another man or another situation or another issue. No. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Everything else is distraction. Everything else is accusation. Oh, it's time. A singular focus on the one, the man Jesus Christ, to loose the seals. the praying church is going to bring this into being as the incense rises out of this house and other houses across the globe 
Let the incense rise. Let the incense rise. Let it rise. Rise, incense. Rise to the Lord. Rise, oh Lord. 
we will speak and whatever we see you do we will do
Colossians chapter 1, verse 25. Paul speaking, I became a servant of the church according to this stewardship which God has given me to me for you in order to complete the word of God. That is, the mystery that's been held, hid, kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what he tells me. You have to say to him, because he will not impose himself on us. I let you in. We, we have to have the fullness of Jesus' Christology to make it in the end times. It's going to take his full divinity installed in your humanity. You're gonna need him because of all the brokenness and all the hurt and all the travail and all the pain that we've suffered as human beings. It's affected our consciousness and our ideas and our thought processes. It's affected our perceptions. And the enemy will play his hand against you every time. I'm saying, I'm going to have to have all of you. I'm not going to make it without you. And he needs us to recognize that, acknowledge that, and say, Lord, you're not going to make it on your own. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what's about to unfold on this planet Earth. You're going to need all of Jesus, all he has, and all he paid for at the cross. You're going to need him all. Not, not just a partial Christianity, but a full-orbed Christology. The fullness of Christ in you. I can't make it without you, Lord. I need the imprint of your face installed on my soul. I need you. And if you'll tell him, I need you to fix me. I need you to do something with me that I can't do for myself. He'll come. He'll do something that you can never do. He'll give you him. Oh, and I need you, Lord. I need you. I, reckon, I recognize my need. I'm dependent. I'm an infant. I'm just a little child. What do I know? I don't know anything. What do you know? Nothing. Because I only do what I see my father doing. Let him in. Just say to him, I'll let you. Take over me. Take over me. Take over me. Take over me and come into the delight of the Father. Come on. Oh, I trust you. I trust you again with me. I can't do this on my own. My mind can't do it. My emotions can't handle it. You're everything, Lord. Who am I without you? Where else will I go without you? 
Oh yeah. You gonna go away too? When I say eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're gonna go away too? Oh, come to me all that are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Rest in the seventh day. Rest now. Yeah, I feel it that you're believing with me right now. My emotions can't handle it. My mind can't handle it, but you can do it. I'm saying, Lord, come on in right now. Say it to him if you want. He's not gonna impose himself on you, but he will come to the one who says, I want all of you, and I'm willing to give up all of me for all of you. Yes, the trade, the best trade you'll ever make. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I say, come now. Come and do have your way, Lord. Did you ever go in a war of grace? Won't back down, won't be dismayed. His word is true, hiding in your hearts. And the city's ours, the starts of mine. in a war of grace I won't back down I won't be dismayed your word is true it's all I'm facing everything on seven times
food that you know not of. I have food that you know not of. transfigured life of Jesus. As he recodes your DNA with light. Some of you may be feeling that light coursing through your body. Some of you may not. It's like waves of light shooting through your body. Now, uncreated light outside of 12 dimensions, uncreated God. stars you are the stars arising every star differs in glory you're made to shine like the expanse sons and daughters of the Lord the Lord's royal family Clothed in light, light beams. We're headed toward the end. I seem high and lifted up on a throne, standing, the one victorious and triumph over all. Oh, it's you.
The Lord's given me a tongue. So what I'm going to do by way of explanation is before I give the tongue, when the gift of tongues comes, it speaks, the Lord is speaking to the spirit. So there's eyes and there's ears in our spirit. So when a tongue comes, we don't understand with our brain, but our spirits receive the tongue. And then some, at least one, will know with their spiritual ears or their spiritual eyes what's being said. Oftentimes it'll be more than one person where there's a picture that comes. So even though after I give the tongue, if I then speak in English myself, don't discount if you have something after the tongue is given as well. Because oftentimes there's a picture. So Lady Shanamandai, Ladiya Shanamandai, Ladianda de Bende. He wants to clothe, he wants to clothe you in light. He wants to go deep down into the inner recesses and bring this comfort from the comforter that is beyond words. And he even says, you are the light of the world. The light of the world in us, the light of the world. I remember when I was a little kid, I would sit down 
at my mom's piano and uh, listen to her play Fur Elise. And uh, I really like that, so I asked him to put that up this morning. Before we, before we began here in the seventh day Advent, before we began in the seventh day Adventist and came here, the Lord had said to me, he says, everything's going to change. It's going to be different. And it's going to be challenging. And he said this is going to be a, mark, a demarcation line that you're going to have to accept of entering into the seventh day. Because it's going to be out of rest for this end time move that I'm going to operate from. And so many things are gonna challenge you to knock you out of rest and back into the six days, the six days of creation and try to move you and orient you back into a mode that I have said that I have called my church into. Remember in Hebrews it says, labor therefore to enter into rest. And he said that they hardened their hearts and they didn't enter into rest and it says, and he swore in his own wrath, they will not inherit the promises. And for years of ministry and everything, it's like everything has been like dialed down, dialed down, dialed down until you get to a place in your soul where this consummate trust lays into the very fabric of your being and you will not be moved because it's him resting in you. He's found a place where he doesn't have to strive with us anymore, a place where he doesn't have to convince us. He doesn't have to get us confirmed. It's the place of consummation. It's the place of real union. It's the place of rest. And we've been troubled by many different things. And the Lord says, can you rest in me? He says, this time will be marked by two things. And I, I thought it was very interesting that you will build my temple and you will bear the glory. I thought it was a fascinating thing to me that Jesus on the seventh day says something really interesting to uh, everybody when they're getting upset with him because he caused a man to walk on the Sabbath and he says something there, he says, my father is what? My father's always working. And I, I know that the Pharisees there, maybe Sadducees and some others, were probably like, how is that? How is your father always working out of the Sabbath? That's what Jesus said. My father does his best work out of rest. I don't know if you know this, but I believe it was Winston Churchill would lay in his bed until 12 o'clock while he administrated a war. In the World War II, he would lay there and rest and he would stay in that place and he would conduct affairs of state and you think that the man needs to be up and doing this and doing that and down there and doing this and all he's doing is resting and stopping an enemy nation from basically trying to conquer the world and to take over. All out of rest. And God has called us into that. 
And I think that the big challenge of our hour right now will be, are we gonna let everything and all these concepts and ideas pull us out of a place where God rests uh, in us, a place of, of a consummation? I can say for certain that since we've come here, I have never in, year, in all my years had so many different things trying to take me out of this glorious liberty of Christ in you. And the Lord said, don't let it drag you out. Last week, we're up, I'm up here. I'll just give you like a, is this subjective? I'm up here. And the Lord says, uh, there's a brain aneurysm issue in this congregation. Someone can die. And I, I was up here. I said, uh, I'm calling it. And I don't know if you, if you remember the experience that we were having in the room, but there was like this block came into the atmosphere. I, I could feel like we were going to have to press through like a, a block. And I was like, we got to because we can't have somebody die early with an aneurysm that they don't know they're about to possibly have. We had a few ladies come up here. And the Lord says to me, he says, uh, what? You don't think I can heal TBI? Traumatic brain injury. He said, what? You don't think I can do it? No, I didn't say anything. I didn't say, I didn't say what you could do. I didn't say what you can or can't do. I, and I don't know if he talks to you like that. He talks to me like that. He's, I'm, I'm one of those people you have to get my attention. I don't know if you're like that. What? You don't think I can heal TBI? And I said, I didn't know. I didn't, I, you know, put your hand over your mouth. I, I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't say you couldn't or could. Or, I didn't even know about TBI. Yeah, I could, I could heal traumatic brain injury. Can I? Uh, yes, Lord. They said, well, I'm going to do it right now. And so I'm, I'm up here and I'm starting to think, maybe I'm the person with TBI. <laughs> I, it's me. My dad would say for years, me, oh, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I have traumatic brain injury. I must have been born with it. <laughs> so anyways, I'm like, because what happens after that was the most unreal experience for me I've ever experienced. And the Lord has said, I'm going to do this to my people. I'm going to uh, put myself inside of you, which we know that, but I'm going to take over your body. You know, to the person who's willing to just totally allow me, our first event here, he said, call it phase. The second one, he said, call it face and put a PH on it. And I said, okay, I'm gonna phase my face into your body. My, my very inward parts, I'm going to give you me. This is, what, you know, this is what he's been after the whole time. This is the mystery that Paul spoke of. This is the consummation of the hour. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so I'm up here, he said, what? You don't think I can heal TBI? I was like, I, uh, I it's me. I, maybe I'm the one with TBI. Maybe I've been, maybe I was hit or knocked somebody's head when I was a kid or something. Or maybe you did. Or maybe I don't know. But I know what happened next. I have witnessed healings, miracles, salvations, out-of-body experiences, angelic encounters. Probably, if you can find it in the Bible, you're looking at someone who's experienced it. Not the virgin birth. <laughs> but... But I'm saying when it comes to experience, 
We've had like so many of them, thousands of them with him. And I'm gonna tell you that last week in that experience that I had personally with the Lord, it was infinitely incomparable to all of the other ones. And he came in. And I thought maybe TBI is the entry point. And I stand up here and I was like this, I don't know if y'all saw, but I was like, I'm going down. And I'm, I like to try to stand for y'all. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to make it much more. There's a love and a meeting of desire and longing of the human heart and I have never had fulfilled in myself in my entire born days. It was so much love. It was so much him. And I knew, I knew that he was infinitely better than that he himself and his dwelling in his people was infinitely better than all the things the church has ever done for him or with him, that he himself is everything. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the path we're headed into is that, that he himself would fully indwell our bodies this is called tabernacles. In the old covenant sense, that's what it was called. But in the new covenant sense, it's called transfiguration. I'm going to transfigure you. Before we came here, I was sharing with our leadership team. I said, this is what he's sharing with me. I'm going to phase myself into you by light. I'm going to begin to cause light to go into your being. It's going to transfigure components within your uh, DNA. You're going to become so immersed into that light, you're going to end up staying on the other side of the veil and living there all the time. You're never gonna come back. And I tell you last week, I didn't want to. I said, now I know what people mean when they say they went to heaven and they don't wanna come back. But see, God wants heaven here, he has it here. He wants access here. He wants a transfigured people now that he's going to glorify. So it all, we all get to heaven, that, what a day that'll be, and when we all fly away, what about now? What about, what about access, heavenly access now? But what about something more than just heavenly access? What about himself installed in you? Now, I mean, I went in, and he starts talking to me in first person. You can watch the video or listen to the recording. I start saying stuff. And I'm like talking in first person. I'm not talking in second or third person. I'm in first person singular. He said, say it. I said, I, can't, I don't know if I can talk like that. Now I said to the Lord, I'm tired of parentheticals. Do y'all know what I mean? Maybe you don't. Parenthetical, I don't want an explanation. I just want to walk in you. I want you to walk in me. I'm done with this deal. I told the Lord I didn't even want to preach anymore if he wasn't going to take over. I didn't want to talk about him. I want him to be himself in me. That might sound very personal, and it is. But he told me, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this to you, and then I'm going to hit all of them. He said to me, I taught you 12 dimensions. I said, yes, Lord, he taught me one through four, X, Y, Z, T, linked with height, time, he taught how to cross through the fifth dimension, which is 
double connotation, seeing the heavens, shrinking space-time, crossing over. Taught me six through 12, royal dimension. And he says, I'm outside all of that because I created it, and I'm wanting to come in. That God came in. And he said, this is going to mark the awakening of this galactic progeny. It will be marked by this. Forget all these theatrics. Who gives a flip? I certainly don't. We're after one. And more importantly, he's been after us. He's been brooding over the water of your soul, looking for a place he could just set himself down in. Imagine such a thing. I mean, the world's doing all this other stuff, and God's wanting to put himself in us. So the word I have from the Lord today, well, I got to say this. This last week we were sent some videos, and some of you have watched it, of Terry Bennett and Paul Keith Davis. And one of the first things that I noticed when I was watching the videos of those guys was that both of them had a red horse. Did y'all see that? And they both were wearing polo shirts, and it wasn't like staged or anything. They say that on the video. And I had ordered a book, and it came in November 5th, and called Glory in Our Midst by Meredith Klein. It's the biblical theological readings of Zachariah's night visions. And I was asking the Lord, how do I take this ministry forward? Because we've been through 70 weeks of probation and conferral. We went through 40 weeks of confirmation. And now we're in a season called consummation. And I said, I need, I need something. I don't wanna just talk about what you are, who you are. I need a way to lead this people. I need something that, like, I need something from you, Lord. And so when I saw Terry Bennett and Paul Keith Davis with the little red horse, I had just read a few nights before that out of this book, The Rider on the Red Horse. And I was asking the Holy Spirit myself because I had not exactly understood or really got into Zechariah yet, what is this rider on the red horse about? And so when Paul Keith Davis and Terry began, it, began to describe their experiences with the Lord. And again, it, I would recommend that you probably see that if you haven't. And what they're saying, and Terry says some things in there that are quite interesting. Uh, Henry had shared it with us, but Stephen and I didn't see it till after the event last week, after this experience that I just shared with you about Christ coming in, coming into your being. And he starts to say, the Father told me and Gabriel announced it, that this is going to be the mark of what happens in this end time. The Lord's going to come in himself. And again, I didn't see that until last Sunday evening. And then uh, I think Stephen and I did our debrief and we were just like, man, the Lord is speaking uh, to the church and to his prophetic voices with clarity. And it was really amazing to me because this isn't something that we're talking about is going to happen or will be. This is happening in this, these events. They're saying, the father said, Gabriel said, this is going to happen. And we're right here in the middle of it and it's happening. And that's a different thing. That's a different characteristic of ministry. It's different to talk about what will be or could be or has been 
It's a whole other thing to be in. It's one thing to talk about somebody. It's a whole other thing to be somebody. Do you know what I'm saying? They said it's going to be Revelation 12. He even said there's a vessel called a man-child. It's going to come forth. For years, I, the word's been saying, wakes me up seven years ago, I'm going to bring forth a man-child, a, um, a star-child. I'm going to bring forth a company, Terry Bennett calls it a vessel. I'm going to bring a vessel forward in this end times, a governmental vessel, a governmental star-child. I've been looking for this. And I can't tell you all the inner workings of this ministry, but I, I can tell you this one thing. I sat there and I said, them dudes got the, the red horses on their shirt. I was like, you know, and the Lord said, they're the king's horsemen to me. I said, okay, whatever you say. And so the rider on the red horse is part of this initial vision, vision one, that Zachariah is going to have. And I, I want to share with you a little bit here. And, what we could do is look at Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8. I like something Terry said, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he said the father said something to him, and then he basically says to Terry, he basically says, what, you can't stand on, your own, on, on my word that I said to you? What, you can't stand on it on your own? <laughs> and I was thinking, oh man, I know what that's about. I know exactly what it's about to be like, stick your head out and do something and be off the cuff and just say, I'm going to do whatever you say, Lord. Whether anybody, no commentary, no pat you on the backs, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. And the Lord, the Father kind of like talks to him like that. It's sort of like very tough sometimes because you want something to confirm you or affirm you. In this reality of Christ in you, you want something else to say, yeah, that's the Lord. And I think it's okay. The Lord wants to give double-proof witnesses to subjective experiences, and I think that's why they had two men with the red horses, two men that were talking from the Lord that had agreement. Where two or three agree, touch any one thing, it'll be done. And they had agreement. And I think that's okay in your life, and I'm not denying that. After the service last Sunday, I go up to Melinda, I said, what's going on with you? You're shaking all over, you're crying. What, what happened to you in this event? She says, I came in late, Carol. She said, I literally saw Father Papa, I think's the way she called him, or Papa Father, put your body on. That's what I was experiencing. And it was nice to hear that because that is a subjective experience for sure. She said, I watched him put she said, plopped his head into yours. Because <laughs> I, I know the Lord said things to me like, what do you know? I didn't say I knew anything. But it was almost like I knew from the Lord that not being able to understand everything and, or trying to understand everything wasn't necessarily how you interact with the God who knows all things. I knew that a lot of judgments that I've thought or made about myself or other people was irrelevant. I knew that a lot of things we've thought about the church and the way we do things, I knew from the Lord that it all was irrelevant because it didn't matter because when he sticks his head in your head, 
Eye has not seen nor ear has heard, neither has it entered into your heart or your mind the thing that the Lord has prepared for you. It hadn't even crossed your mind. And I knew that when he popped his head into mine. I knew I had all kinds of ideas that didn't originate from heaven. And I, know, I knew how quickly, too, that I could get myself out of rest of thinking one judgmental thought about myself or someone else and how fast it accelerates me back into broken whatever, whatever, whatever. I knew that I could experience God's presence and not even be in that category. I knew that we have been living in a subpar reality in the church pretty much my whole life. And I've been in some of the greatest prophetic presence-based worship meetings, I think, ever. And I knew that he himself was so far superior to all of it. I knew that just experiencing his presence, as glorious it is, is not him. That he is the rider on the red horse. And he is coming for war. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that he was among the, myrtle, the myrtles, the tabernacles. If I speak strange to you, bear with it. And I knew that he had victory over the deep. I knew that he was the glory. I know he is the glory. I know that no one, no thing, no item, no presence that emanates from him is him. I knew a love that I've never experienced in my life. And I tell you, I don't ever, today I was like, oh, come, come, come. Just don't let me be a hindrance. Don't let my mind be a hindrance. Don't let these lights and sound and all this stuff be a hindrance. You do your thing and you have your way. Cave, cathedral, closet, castle, I don't care. Where's my beloved? You understand? It's all formatted across our minds. I, I, I'm telling you, it's like all these forms. They're trying to interfere with our, ourselves. They're trying to get us into structural concepts. And he's on the other side of all of it. It is not him. He said, you read these words and they speak of me, but you know neither me nor my father. Do you understand? I said, you read your Bible your whole life and not even know God. Matthew 7. You could cast out demons and not have a relationship. What I'm talking about, what we are headed into is the church. This ecclesia, where we're headed is himself in us. It's where he's always wanted it to be. And this was the tragedy. This is what happened. And this is what Zechariah is going to address. Zechariah chapter 1 verse 8. Then I asked one nearby, what are these, sir? Angelic messenger who replied to me said, I will show you what these are. Excuse me, one eight. I was attentive that night and I saw a man seated on a red horse that stood among some myrtle trees in the ravine or in the deeps. Behind him were red and sorrel and white horses. Klein says this symbolic scene contains the essence of the prophet's night visions and indeed of his entire prophecy, this 118 scene. He says that his overall theme developed in visions, oracles, symbolic actions, sermons, and burdens is the restoration and consummation of God's kingdom. 
And so when we're looking at Zechariah 1.8 here, what we're seeing is like an entry point into the seven visions that he's going to have in Zechariah, that he's going to detail. And this is like your entry point into it. It's sort of like uh, Narnia, like going through the door. Being the Pevensey children being on one side of the door, never knowing about Narnia, going through the door into another realm, Narnia, right? Y'all seen that? You know what I'm talking about? Zechariah 1.8 is like that. Zechariah 1.8 is like an entry point. It's, it's similarly to, um, similarly to what I'm, I'm describing as God coming in to us. There's an access. Uh, there's an access outside of 12-dimensional space of God himself. There's an access point outside. You know, the Lord said to me a few weeks ago, he says to me like this, he says, uh, you extrapolate light to receive revelation. And you give that revelation to my people. I am revelation. <laughs> Big fundamental difference. I am revelation, he said to me. Saying, I am revelation. He said, I am. I am revelation. I am revelation through you. I don't want just parentheticals. I want a chronological I don't want just explanations. I want you to be. I want to be in you. That's why they call us fools for Christ. That's why uh, David said, which uh, Gus Vickery mentioned at the beginning, I'll be more undignified than this. <laughs> you think this is undignified? Wait till you see this. <laughs> Wait till you see this. <laughs> you know. That's nothing, right? I mean, I'm going to go more. I'm going to go more radical. Not because I'm going to do it, but he might take over uh, my brain chemistry. I don't know what I'm doing with myself. You see, we concern ourselves with what other people think or what we think about ourselves. And the Lord's like, hey, would you just let me get you? <laughs> you might fly. <laughs> Who knows what happens when God comes in and takes over? This entry point of Zechariah 1.8 was what? I want to restore and I want to consummate a kingdom. He says, the analysis of the structure of the book shows it to be unified by a repeating sequence of three main topics. If you take notes, the first and primary is the return and presence of God's glory in the midst of his people. That God's first concern when he starts into the restoration and consummation and you heard me say, this ministry has been through probation, conferral, 70 weeks, confirmation, 40 weeks. Now we're in consummation. The restoration is, in fact, unfolding in front of your eyes. The restoration of all things. The raising up of the Davidic booth. Amos 9-11. It's a multi-staged process of God raising up his Davidic monarchy in this nation and the nations of the world. He's a theocratic. Okay, he's sovereign over everything. He owns everything. He owns us. He owns the land. He owns everything. This restoration is upon us. And some of you have heard my story when I met the Holy Spirit outside the church. He looks down with me, at me with light flaming eyes and like diamond-like in his eyes. And he says, go forth and show my love demonstrate love, and takun alam. That word takun is to restore. 
That word olam means outside of basically outside of 12 dimensions. It's outside of the antiquity. It's consummation. Go forth. I want consummation and I want restoration in my people. And up to us entering in here at the seventh day, we haven't even got started. Now I want to tell you, I was reading last night and I said, man, we've all been through so much. You know, I don't know if you're experiencing this. I've been through so much already serving the Lord and we're just getting started. And I, I tell you, he gave me that Habakkuk too. He says, don't grow weary right now. Don't faint now. It's time now. Now, 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 now has come the kingdom and the glory. And I tell you, I feel, I, I'm going to tell you personally, I feel exhausted. I've worn, I've worn out from all the years of being tried, run through probation, having God speak, um, trusting him. And we need an infusion. We need him himself. That's what I said today in the worship. You're not going to be able to make it without him. Well, you won't make it into the, you will not make it in consummation without the Lord consuming you. You won't make it. Your body can't hold up. Stephen told me this morning, he said, I am, had more soreness in my body this week than I ever have. Our first Sunday here, him and I both got hit in our shoulder. My right shoulder and his left shoulder about knocked us for a loop. It was a pain I've, I've only had when I came out of surgery. Uh, this last year, a just severe pain hits him and hits me at the same time. I go back there and I'm like, oh, 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 what in the world is going on? And the Lord's like, weed. Like, it's like just being jabbed with a knife right in my shoulder blade. And he feels it too. He told me this morning he's getting hit with physical pain, severe pain. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to faint in the day? Are we going to, like Paul, like take 40, 40 minus one? Are we going to take it? Are we going to press in? Are we going to be strong right now in the Lord? Yes, we're going to need you, Lord. We're going to need a consummation. So we don't make it. Everybody will turn on each other. It isn't going to work. We're going to have to be Focused in him. We got to look just at him. Quit looking at other things. Quit looking at yourselves. Quit looking at stuff. Look at him. Everything will drag you down. Your food and water will drag you down. Money will drag you down. Finances will drag you down. Things will drag you down. Look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Ah! Because <laughs> everything else is a drag down mode. To drag you out of him, drag you back down in the minutia of life and the nonsense of this world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. And we need some uh, tenacity right now. I don't get up here and holler and yell because I like hollering and yelling. It's something inside of me saying, I'm not going to give up this fight. And I'm not. I'm not going to because he's worthy. He says, I'm going to restore and I want to consummate myself with my people. The first thing he says, the glory of God is coming into the midst of the people. Not a haze machine. <laughs> God's glory. God's real manifest glory. 
all the lights and all the building and everything that goes on around us will not compare to this greater glory. Can't even touch it. Not even, no, nowhere near. So I want to restore my glory in the midst of my people. He says, number two, in this, I want to eliminate evil. Yes, please do. <laughs> I'm wanting to take the, and eliminate the evil. I'm wanting to take the evil oppression from without and the perversion within. I want to deal with the evil of your heart. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to heal. I'm going to straighten you out. I'm going to make you holy. And this evil that comes around us that tries to come against us, these demonic attacks and these hits from every side, I'm going to blast them out. I, I said, Lord, this is really difficult. He said, Michael, archangel, call him to attention, tell him it's time to operate in the second heavens. And then he throws Lucifer and all his guys out of the second heaven into the first heaven to put himself inside of people. Now the ante's been upped at another level. That fellow wasn't necessarily messing with us every day. Now he's going to come down and get himself inside of some people and really start messing with the church. Do you see what I mean? I, the Lord wants to put an end to this. I want to deal with the perversion within and the oppression from without. And the third in the redemptive establishment is a Zion community as an expression and an embodiment of God's universal sovereignty. I want a government. I want my own government. Again, I'm going to restore in the midst of my people my glory. Number two, I'm going to deal with the oppression from without and the perversion from within. And number three, I'm gonna have a government. I'm going to have a people that come from Zion. I'm not going to have a Sinai people. I'm going to have a Zion people, a collision of heaven and earth. That's what I'm going to have. And so this week when I was working on the notes for today, the Lord wanted me to go through this with you today, the tragedy of the Solomonic era. And I'm going to read you a little bit here, but as in the case of Israel's possession of the land with Joshua, and, and they conquered, as you know, they had a northern and southern campaign. There was 31 kings that they took out, and they began to possess the land of Canaan. That campaign effectively eliminated those 31 kings. Now, you know, if you've studied Joshua, that there were certain rogue nations still left in there, and they made some pacts that they shouldn't have made and things, and there were some giants still left in the land that's going to be dealt with later under David. So at the end of, uh, toward the end of narrating the zenith of the kingship in Solomon, 1 Kings 8.56 says that Solomon's reign and building of the temple happened. According to all that he promised, not one word failed of all his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. What was that promise? Let me read it to you. Exodus 15.17. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place you made for your residence. What's that sound like? In you. The tabernacles. I, I made me a place for a residence. In this case, it was Jerusalem in that day. But I want a place to reside among my people. I will have a palace. And then he says, and then the sanctuary. And so in the restoration, there was palace and temple. 
I'm going to restore both the palace and, and the place of worship. And of course, this happens with uh, Solomon. It's, it begins to happen with David. David's going to be allowed to set up a temporary pavilion, much like the one we just left. Because the Lord had told me, I'm going to take this company out of the Davidic era into the Solomonic era, this company. I'm going to do it outside of time, but I'm going to, this transition that's upon you, which has taken all of us by surprise, I think, has been how the Davidic tent booth pavilion understanding in it out there at uh, Tom and Laura Gross's and transferred really fast into a Solomonic understanding. David's 70 years old when he passes on and leaves the temple and palace to his son. And then now Solomon's going to raise up. And the church is going to be, or the people of God, the Zion community of that day are going to be characterized by a different look. If you think SDA Arden is glorious, you should have seen the temple of Solomon. <laughs> Later on, when the, when the temple's destroyed, they're going to say we were, they were weeping because of the glory of that temple. I mean, it, it was gold-plated. I do not see any gold-plated walls in here. It, it was fashioned in such a way David has saved up, they say, the equivalent of $23 billion. Talk about finance. They said Solomon was worth $121 trillion. Our GDP in this nation isn't even a tithe of that. 400 million people working don't even make as much as that man's tithe. You understand the glory of that house? What are we talking about with this house? <laughs> it's so inferior to where the Lord's going with this. <laughs> Our view has got so low of the glory of the majesty of our Lord. Where are the 30,000 people? Where's the 100,000 that should be gathering right now in prophetic worship right here, out filling this parking lot up? Where are they at? The land has been broken. The people are broken. There's a few, a few left, you, and more coming. Because the glory cloud's coming. He told me millions, tens of millions will convert under this work. I believe him now. I don't care what my eyes see. I believe him. You will see this in stadiums. You will see the, my glory raving out and in gathering a company of people. I say, yes, Lord, I believe you. I don't care what it looks like. Because this temple and this palace will be built. God will have it inside. There's a third temple Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, there's a literal third temple going to be raised up at the Temple Mount. There's a greater third temple, the glorification of man. They didn't see this. And he says, this was not mere fulfillment of prophecies about a kingdom and a temple. In the light, it was in the light of links to Genesis 1 and 2. This is also the realization of a kingdom and a temple and what appeared to be an emerging new creation. And as it was with Joshua, although there was an escalated fulfillment of prophecies in Israelite kingship and of the temple, it was even more so in Solomon. And this is the tragedy. Listen to me. But these fulfillments were not consummated. 
and all the glory that Solomon had in the raising up of the temple, and all the glory of his palace, which I think took four years to build, just like David's. David built a 9,000 square foot home when people were living in huts. Talk about offensive. <laughs> Solomon's got this Palladio mansion. He's got this huge temple, $23 billion of his daddy's money installed into it. He's got wisdom. He's got the whole thing going. And the Lord still didn't get consummation. He still hadn't won himself with anybody. He still hadn't found a place to rest inside of man. The Lord's like, tell him about the tragedy. Tell him about the tragedy of putting it all into just external things and not letting me have my way with you. Tell him the tragedy. Tell him the tragedy of one of the greatest kingdoms that's ever been on the face of the planet. Not one has been greater than Solomon's to this day. He says, are you not like the lilies of the field? <laughs> I, when I made you, I put a soul in you that I myself could dwell in. I want to rest inside of you. He told me years ago, and it's been very painful, I'll admit, maybe it's been painful for you, but he said, you're too focused on the external when I'm the eternal. And I said, man, are you denying, are you denying word external realities? No. I work within external realities. Are you anti-body? Or are you anti-relic? Are you anti-replica? He said to me, am I anti-you? <laughs> Was you not made in my image and likeness? If I'm anti-replica, then I'm anti-you. I'm anti-body then, and he's not. Subsequent history reveals the lack of consummation in that sin by both Solomon and Israel occurred resulting not in the elevation of the conditions into a new creation, a glorified people, where perfect righteousness dwells, but rather in the disastrous consequences of the splintering of Israelite kingship and kingdom, the destruction of the temple, the dismantling of the nation itself put back into exile. Moses' prophecy in Exodus 15, 17 through 18, and God's promise in 2 Samuel 7, 10 through 16, affirm that the kingdom and the temple will be established forever. But it did not happen with Solomon. Lack of complete fulfillment is indicated also by the conditional way that the fulfillment was expressed. Listen to this, 1 Kings 2, 4. And the Lord will fulfill his promise to me. If your descendants watch their step and live faithfully in my presence with all their heart and being. Then he promised, this is the Lord speaking, you will not fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. First Kings 8.25 says, now, O Lord, God of Israel, keep the promise you made to your servant, my father David, when you said, you'll never fail to have a successor ruling before me on the throne of Israel, provided that your descendants watch their step and serve me as you have done. 1 Kings 9, 21, as well as by the observation, as in Joshua, that left in Israel were some of the people remaining from the enemy nations, whom the sons of Israel were unable to destroy utterly. 1 Kings, and thus the purpose of emphasizing that God had fulfilled all the promises is to highlight that the beginning fulfillment of the promises had begun 
listen now, but not their consummation. The promises were going into place. They, the people of, of Israel were believing the promise. The king was believing the promise, but the Lord never got his consummation in Solomon. As glorious as it was, it never came to pass. The lack of consummation with Solomon means that he becomes a prototype of the true eschatological king. Big K, big boss who would come. One who would achieve the greater escalated and consummated blessings of which Solomon fell short. The Lord told me this is the why of Zechariah. This is the why of where we're headed. Why? Because in this hour, and God knows I don't, I don't know what it'll take. I think it's gonna take everything and all we got. I'm gonna have a consummated kingdom. I am going to have me a consummation in my people. I've longed for this. Paul said, if I could just attain unto the out-resurrection. If, if I could just have that, the Lord said, no. He's going to Jerusalem, going to have his head cut off. I'm not going to come because if God gets a glorified man, do you know what he does? He splits the eastern sky. Acts 3.21, Jesus is retained in the heavens until the restoration of all things. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see where we're going? No generation yet has believed him. No generation yet has made it probably where we're at. No generation. For 2,000 years, for 2,000 years, the Lord's been waiting for a generation that would go all in. And I'm telling you, at 46 years of age, 23 times two. <laughs> Outside of space time, far be it from me to not do everything that he tells me to do in this hour to finish this line, thought, and story, and let's get it over with. I get an amen on that one. I mean, can we just get it over with? Can we just be done with it? Can we get the king of glory back? Can he become our central focus? Can he become our all in all? Can he just consummate himself with us? Can we just say enough's enough? Enough's enough, this world, they're not gonna fix it, people. DC's not gonna fix this problem. Most of them don't even know the Lord. I have a relationship with Jesus. So many of the churches not even went through confirmation. They would all quit. I know going through 70 weeks downtown, I thought, I can't take another day, man. I can't take another day. While the Lord's wrath is being exercised against us. Saying, this don't match up to me and I'm gonna take it out of you. I don't want you living like that. That's not what it's like. We need a connection right now. We need to bind our hearts to the Lord like now, like never before. We need to take our judgments off and all our thoughts off about ourselves and other people and ideas about whatever, 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 and we need to give ourselves to namely one. It's gonna take it right now like never, never before. Sometimes, and I don't know if you feel this way, I feel overwhelmed. The last two weeks have been some of the most overwhelming weeks I've ever experienced personally. Some of the hardest weeks I've had in ministry. It's been fight after war, after conflict, after nonstop this and that. It has been unreal. 
And I said, man, we must have just happened onto something. <laughs> and my enemy, who's already been hard enough to deal with previously, is this angry about this. And we're into the middle of a bumblebee's nest. We must have happened upon something he's been fighting and not wanting to see happen for generation and generation and generation. And he finally found, the Lord did, a company of people that would rather have their hands tied behind their back and enter into the Sabbath rest of the Lord and be consumed by him. He found you. And you found him. The consummation which would have been typified in Solomon was only completed in Jesus. And the fullness of Christ would be in us. And this end time generation, by transfiguration, leading to glorification. After Solomon had finished building the Lord's temple, the royal palace, and all the other construction projects he had planned, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. And Jesus fulfills the complete conditions of the covenant with one sacrifice. Do I have to keep going and sacrificing myself again? Sacrifice an offering, I don't desire. Double down offerings, I take no delight in, Hebrews. I just want your body. I just want your body. I just want you. That sounds too good to be true. No, just give me you. Yeah, I mean, do we need volunteers? Yes. <laughs> do we need resources? Yes. The words say, I'd rather have you. Let's stand together. Beginning next week, I'm going to start in with the book of Zechariah, detailing seven vision aspects of the King of Glory. We're going to get into the introduction of the structure next week. Many of the church camps have camped around different aspects of Jesus, but he wants a full orb vision of who he is to us. He's the governor of the nations. He's the avenger of the afflicted. He's the builder of God's city. He's the guardian of God's courts. He's the anointer of God's temple. He's the desolator of the apostates. He's the judge of the world. He is the king of glory. He already has victory over this. He's already overcome. He already has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He has it all. It's his right now. He has completed everything. He has finished it. The Father's looking for a qualitative reality of Christ in us. And when he gets what he wants, the Lord's coming back. And it's all gonna be over with. And I'm challenging you today To allow the Lord to take the formats and the form of the Christian religion off your mind. I'm challenging you today to take your experience and your ideas of the way you were raised and say, Lord, take it all off my mind. I'm a new creature. I've been made new.
I'm asking you today to consider what I'm saying, to say, I'm in the fight. I'm in the fight that's already been won. And I know one thing, I'm going to wait on the Lord for everything. I'm just gonna say, you know, Lord, I can't do this in my own strength. My hands are behind my back and I want you to take over. Now, I'm gonna let you, Lord, I'm gonna ask you, have your Sabbath in me. I'm tired of uh, being a six day person. It's time for me to be a Sabbath person. And I'm gonna tell you, I've heard some of you testify this to me already. The Lord will go to work through you. He'll get more done in you than you've got done your whole life doing what you can do. <laughs> he's gonna get more done with us when he's in charge of us and when he takes over us. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's why I said that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why that was said by John. I want full consummation in this hour. I'm gonna have my way uh, with my people. Let's uh, come forward for a communion while they sing. My lamb 
shining bright with oil to last the night in this passion